Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. According to the federal government, one in five Canadians struggle to pay for prescription medicines. Three million people don't fill prescriptions because they cannot afford it. One million Canadians will cut the amount they spend on essentials like food and heat so they can afford to buy medicine. In the next few weeks, the federal government hopes to introduce a plan to cover the cost of prescriptions. Many, including the NDP, want to see a universal pharmacare plan. In fact, the NDP threatened to withdraw their support of the Liberals if that does not happen. Potentially, it could force an election. The program could cost more than $11 million in its first year. The local chapter of the Council of Canadians, a national social justice group, is trying to raise awareness across the country of the importance of a universal pharmacare program. You will hear why this local group feels it is important, and you will hear how they answer critics of the proposal. I am delighted to have with me today Bob Garson, a director with the local chapter of Council of Canadians, and Patricia Sinnott, a retired pharmacist and a volunteer with the local chapter of the Council of Canadians. Welcome to you both to consider this Northumberland. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. I'd like to start with something very basic. What is pharmacare? And Patricia, I'll let you as a pharmacist start us off. Well, thanks, Rob. The concept of pharmacare is part of what should have been introduced six decades ago when we introduced universal health care in Canada. So that was to be the first rollout, an insurance plan across the country that paid for uh, physician visits and hospital visits, acute care and primary care through the provincial bodies. And after that rollout, next was to come pharmacare and dental care. But those additions never happened. So a universal public pharmacare program would pay for prescription drugs, especially those on the essential drugs list initially, for all Canadians. It would not leave anyone in gaps. There are many people now, at least 11% of Canadians, without any coverage, who cannot afford their prescription medication. Bob, why do we need pharmacare? We need pharmacare because everyone should have, uh, have, the, have the human right to health care, and, and, and uh, we're talking about the whole body. Um, there are many, many, many Canadians, both uh, those who are working and those who are, are self-employed and those who are who are poor and in other situations who cannot access um, the incredible cost of healthcare. And all reports, previous reports from the government have supported that position. 
Um, Canada, uh, other than the United States, is the only country uh, um, in the developed world that does not have a pharmacare program. And our costs are third uh, to uh, uh, United States and Switzerland. Um, that's an unacceptable um, situation. And uh, I, I have lots of personal experience with people who have suffered as a result, uh, some of them quite seriously. Is it possible without identifying those individuals that you could share a story with us about uh, some of the challenges that people face? I've been a farmer and involved with farming for most of my life. There are um, a number of farmers who I know of and um, um, some I knew personally um, who had serious health problems, both physical and mental. And as a result of not being able to access uh, pharmacare, um, they had serious accidents. In some cases, those people um, uh, were thrown off their tractors and killed. Um, there's uh, people who have serious mental health issues um, and who, if they do get um, uh, subsidized care through the uh, disability benefit, often go for long periods of time with no care at all, and yet they are in need of uh, medicine for psychotic conditions. Um, there are many, many people, including uh, a member of my family, who are self-employed professionals and have no, even though their income is relatively low, they have no access uh, to, to uh, pharmacare. And as a result, um, they have to make serious choices about whether they take medication that they require. Um, if, if we, can certainly, uh, we can certainly expand on that if we need to. Patricia, in your comments, you mentioned that about 11% of Canadians don't have access to drug benefits. Why don't we just have a plan that deals with that? That's a concern that um, the um, politicians, the party in power being the Liberal Party, may attempt to mollify uh, the New Democrats with whom they have the agreement about with their minority government, offering a patchwork fill-in program for those who do not have benefits. And the downside of that is you lose the benefit of purchasing power. If there's a single payer system across the country, then we could have a group established that would negotiate prices with the pharmaceutical industry and get better prices and the parliamentary budget officer has estimated savings of 2.2 billion with a B dollars per year and other sources have estimated even higher savings in the cost of medications across the country if we had a single payer universal public pharmacare program instead of the patchwork system. Let's explore that a little further. The federal parliamentary budget officer, who is an independent branch of the government and responsible for costing out federal programs, says that the program would cost $11.2 billion in the first year, and then in five years, it would cost more than $13 billion. Now, that seems like a lot of money when the government is already running a deficit. How is this a good deal? Right now, people who aren't able to access medication for chronic conditions and that's a large part of the problem. We have a lot of effective drugs 
that when prescribed appropriately for people with chronic medical conditions, keep those people active, working at home. They're not visiting emergency departments. They're not being hospitalized. And the cost for emergency visits and hospitalizations in all the provinces would be reduced if we had a national pharmacare program that allowed people to get medications for the conditions they have when they need those meds, and that would keep people out of hospitals. Well, um, well, it seems like a lot of money when you look at it. Um, in fact, in, in comparison to federal spending and even to programs that they're going, they're planning to eliminate uh, high costs, it, it actually is, given the savings that all of the reports uh, have emphasized, regardless of whether the fact they all agree on the number, they've all emphasized there would be an overall savings. And uh, in terms of lost hours of work, in terms of lack of productivity and early retirements uh, as a result of these things, um, um, the benefits far outweigh what the costs would be. Those in favor of Pharmacare say the federal government can negotiate lower drug prices since it purchases the drugs in such large quantities, bulk purchasing. Patricia, you raised this point. Isn't it already happening, though, through provincial drug support programs? Why do we need to double up? Well, because we are not um, currently negotiating the quantities that we would be negotiating for if we had universal coverage, Rob. So, yes, there are negotiations going on for the drug benefit program here in Ontario, for instance, but that covers a specific body of people. So people on social assistance, on disability allowance, and seniors. There's a gap of people between, I should say, um, up to age 25. I think now the coverage has extended to them. But between the ages of 25 and 65, those people without extended health benefits through their employer do not have any coverage at all. So there's a whole other volume of drugs required that are not being included in the purchasing negotiations. Go ahead, Bob. Well, if we look at the Hoskins report, the report from the the government, uh, um, Dr. Hoskins, when he, when he did that report, 59% um, people who are, who are skipping doses are not filling the prescriptions are doing so even though they have public or private coverage because they still face high out-of-pocket uh, prices. And 69% uh, of, uh, for whom drug costs are a major cost of living stressor have public or private coverage, but are still struggling. And this is from a Polara poll in June of 2023. So the problem runs very deep. The federal government is looking at an option to cover what is called catastrophic medicines. Those are super expensive. It would only be a fraction of the cost and it could work in conjunction with provincial plans. Why is this not a good approach? Well, again, uh, catastrophic medications, I think of an example, the uh, clot busting drug, which people with symptoms of uh, a non-bleeding stroke would receive in the emergency department. That drug, when I was practicing, cost in the neighborhood of um, 
$2,500. I'm sure the price is probably beyond that now. And other similar drugs that are life-saving in a catastrophe are priced that way because they're not used very often. And when there's a sole supplier because of patent protection, the drug company can charge pretty much what it wants to. And they will tell you they're charging the big bucks because they're trying to recover research and development dollars. But we know that research and development in Canada is not done on a regular basis. It's all done offshore because most of the drug companies here are multinationals. So the catastrophic drug class is a special group for a smaller number of individuals and there are people with autoimmune disorders, for instance, that rely on these drugs to manage their symptoms so that they can continue with their daily lives. So they're not all necessarily life-saving like the clot-busting drug, but it's a special group. But going back to uh, the essential list, and this was part of the Hoskins report too, we know that there are a number of medications that people who have chronic conditions like um, pain or arthritis or high blood pressure or heart problems. Those meds are used by a lot of people, especially in our aging population. And negotiating the best price on that 135 or so drugs across the country would result in significant cost savings because of the volume every year. So this option where the government, the federal government would cover the essential medicines or help cover the essential medicines, um, like you describe, if they just did that, again, it would be less expensive. And again, why is this not sufficient in conjunction with existing provincial plans? Why can't we just do that, save some money, not cost as much and help those who have the highest needs? Bob, how would you respond to that? I think Pat has pointed out, and I, I tried to point out earlier, some of the issues that are involved, but I, I want to come back to the cost. So Hoskins reports says it's going to cost um, $3.5 to cover half of all prescriptions. And if we just look at the, uh, the federal government, for example, the civil service is going to save $7 billion just from cutting down on outside consultants and international travel. So if we compare health and pharmacare is part of health and essential service. Um, this is this is not an expensive program, and in fact, it would not all be introduced in one step. Um, so there would be there would be cost savings that would be able to be demonstrated at all levels. Which and then, as with with um, Medicare, uh, it would progress through the stages, uh, starting with the most essential. I'll let Pat to pick up on that. I'd just like to point out that in most of the European countries which have a universal healthcare program, they also have a universal pharmacare program, and they do not pay the high drug costs which we pay in Canada. So we know that negotiating better prices is totally achievable, but we need the purchasing power, the numbers to put together to negotiate with the pharmaceutical industry. And the reason that the Liberals have been talking about pharmacare for several years now is because of the effective lobbying from big pharma and the insurance industry. 
because it's the insurance industry that sets up the third-party programs benefits through employers for those who have them. So there's there's money to be made and they don't want to lose that money. So we pay extra in this country because we carry on with this patchwork system. Two points I want to come back to. One is this idea of insurance plans. Wouldn't provincial drug plans and insurance companies benefit from federal purchasing agency buying all the drugs for the entire country? Well, Rob, if the um, federal, the idea is with national pharmacare, the federal government would give transfer payments to the provinces and territories, and the pharmacare program would be negotiated through each province. There'd be quite a rollout because we have such a complicated healthcare system in Canada. So no, we would not be involving insurance companies then because eventually when you get universal drug coverage across the board, and that would take some time to implement and the political will to implement and the cooperation of the provinces and territories, there's a lot of ifs here. But once that all came together, the business that the insurance companies currently get by providing those prescription drug benefits would be gone. Small businesses would benefit because their costs would be much less. Um, and uh, in terms of the providing benefits to their employees, and which means a higher rate of, I think, of job retention, perhaps uh, um, higher expectations in terms of uh, uh, qualifications of people, being able to retain people. Um, and and uh, that I think that's an important consideration um, in, in what we calculate in terms of cost um, and also the fact that most of the money that people save from not paying high drug costs are going to go back into the economy in terms of buying essential things that they cannot afford to buy at this time. Uh, you, you say all of those things, and, and I'm not sure how that's all going to roll out in reality. I mean... Many, many employers hire people at minimum wage for part-time hours. Benefits are not something that, that every person has access to. So I, I, sure. I'm, not, I'm not sure how much that's going to, to have an impact. But something you said earlier that um, makes uh, I want to follow up on was that you see it rolling out. Are you seeing this then as a staged uh, item? I know that uh, there is pressure right now on the Liberal government to roll out a plan and get some form of pharmacare passed before the end of the year, which is like two months away. Uh, less than that, if you take in the fact that we're going to be going into Christmas, which little happens over that period of time. So do you see some level of, of this being state or sorry, you see this being rolled out in stages? Is that what I heard you say? Yeah, yes, uh, that was, and that is the recommendation, right? From when all right. so, what's Hoskins what's the first stage going to look like then, Bob? It would be essential. It would be a, what they would categorize as essential medicines. Now, I wonder, this is going to have a huge, huge impact on the insurance industry and on drug companies, as Patricia was talking about earlier. What's going to be the fallout from that aspect of this? 
Well, I'll, I'll pick up here. Um, insurance companies currently also fund extended benefits for dental care, foot care, vision care. They've still got their hand in the pie of health care in other avenues. So they're not totally bereft of income because our healthcare system is still a patchwork. Even if and when we do have a full rollout of a national universal single payer pharmacare program. The, if we look at the pharmaceutical companies, um, they are foreknown. The profits go outside of the country uh, and often even don't go to a specific country because of the way they manage their finances. I don't want to get into that. But we used to have a world-class uh, production facility, the Connaught Labs uh, in, in Canada. Uh, it really, if we're going to be have secure uh, pharmaceuticals, we need to be able to look at producing those pharmaceuticals within our own country and having control over quality and, and uh, production so that, so that private deals don't have to be negotiated in times of crisis with um, multinational pharmaceutical companies that uh, uh, can put a lot of pressure on our governments and, and it means that the public are not involved in those discussions at all. Well, just to follow up on that, I mean, a few months ago, there was a story that came out um, about drug pricing. And there is an agency already that monitors drug prices now. And it's supposed to protect Canadians from pharmaceutical companies gouging. But it was getting a hard time from those companies. Can we really trust that the government is going to get a good deal on bulk pricing in light of this? Well, that's a big question. The, the word trust is what makes it really big. Um, again, with the cooperation of the provinces, I think we have a much better um, bargaining position with a, um, a drug advisory committee that has the um, authority to speak on behalf of the provinces and territories to negotiate those prices. And we know those prices are less in other countries with healthcare programs and pharmacare programs in place. So we maybe we need people who are better bargainers, better negotiators at the table. I that's about all I can say, Rob. Well, the other factor is Robert, I think is that um, it would Yes, we have to trust government. We have to know them. But we also then would have the information completely on the public record. Most of what has happened in the last number of years, COVID is an example, um, that information is not available to anybody to scrutinize. And so there are lots of, of experts and professionals, medical associations and the rest, that would keep an eye on these things because it impacts everybody and it impacts their patients. Uh, right now, they can't they can't find any of that information many times. You know, when you talk about rolling this out in phases, I think about how the dental plan has been rolled out. And it was rolled out with a starting out with young children and uh, et cetera. And now it, it seems to be frozen. And the, the rest of the commitments to expand it to other parts of our society um, have been delayed or are not we don't know when they're going to start, really. Um, 
isn't this going to be an, another one of those if we just roll this out bit by bit? Um, it, we're going to get, you know, maybe partial plan, part this, part that, whatever the government decides. And then who knows when the next time we'll follow up. Maybe it'll be another 10, 15, 20 years before we see any more changes. Why can't this just be an all or either all or nothing proposition? Or how do we avoid that? Maybe that's the better question. How do we avoid that? Well, Rob, I would suggest we really need to um, inform Canadians that this is where we are and encourage them to get involved and to speak up if they think that a universal single uh, payer primary care program in Canada is a good idea, then learn about it, speak to your politicians, provincial and federal, speak up and let's have our voices, you know, make our voices heard. But but I mean, why do we, sorry, why is there a need for a local group like yourselves to be involved in this campaign? I mean, people are distracted trying to keep food on the table and a roof over their heads while paying their bills. Is this really the time to be pushing for pharmacare? Bob, what do you think? Well, I think it is because the, the people's uh, capacity to to buy other essential things are directly impacted. If a member of their family has a serious health problem that, that, that requires uh, pharmaceuticals, then they have to set aside those other issues. This is a huge cost. And the, uh, all of the surveys have been that have been done so far show that a majority of Canadians are in support of pharmacare. And, and uh, in fact, I think many of us who've been looking at that realize that yes, there would be a rollout uh, in stages. And in fact, um, the principle would be that those who have wealth would, would, would eventually pay more tax for everybody to have that service. But again, because, pe because people would have more spending power if they weren't focusing on those essential pharmaceuticals, the money would be redistributed in the Canadian economy and not go outside the country. The NDP have threatened to end its supply and confidence agreement if the proposed drug plan does not meet its expectations before the end of the year. This could potentially throw the country into an election. Is this something either of you want? Patricia, I'll let you go first. No, I do not think an election at this time is a good thing for the country. And I, but I fear that there may be a plan put forward by the Liberals for a patchwork system to just target a specific demographic, part of the population, rather than rolling out um, initial stages of a single universal public pharmacare program. So there's a risk here. Yes, there's a risk. Can you describe the difference between those two things that you just described, because to me, they sounded the same. What's the difference between what you said in the first case and what you said in the second case? A patchwork versus a universal single-payer program. Because you said that <laughs> we'll be rolling out a single-payer program, but yeah. if we're doing that in stages, how is that not a patchwork? Well, the patchwork concern is that the target group ages 65 pardon me, 25 to 65, that may be the group that the Liberals roll out as we will cover meds for these people. 
and ignore all the rest of it. So it would not then be the start of a universal national pharmacare program. It would just be another piece like the pieces we've had before. That's a big concern because that reduces the possibilities of um, the larger purchasing power for the full population of 37 million Canadians if we covered everyone when things are rolled out. Bob, where do we go from here? Well, I think it's important to have community conversations. People within Northumberland, people in every community um, uh, have an input with their MPs, with maybe with their MPPs because the provincial government's involved with each other. Uh, that's the basis for meaningful change. And uh, I think um, if there is a, a forum for people to have those discussions, a town hall or whatever format that would take, that would give a very clear message in terms of where people stand. Um, I don't want to speak for the rest of the public. I've spoken to many people on this, but I do believe that in a democracy, we have to have those discussions. And especially when governments no longer um, regularly have uh, committee meetings where people can go and present these things. It makes it very difficult for most people uh, to raise the questions or to express their concerns. And I think the, the, essence, the essence of democracy is public participation. So I think that's the critical step. Why is the Council of Canadians local chapter not organizing something like this? Well, I can speak to that. Um, that a part of it is because um, of the personnel involved in this and, and the time frame. As I mentioned to you, I have another uh, commitment. I'm going to be away. Um, there may be, um, as this goes rolled out in stages, if it happens, we would be looking at doing something in the spring that would um, that would continue to provide information and give people an access uh, um, to this. There had been town halls in a number of towns and cities across Canada, um, and I'm familiar with some of those. Uh, we believed in, in our um, local in Northumberland that the best place to start would be with you and with local radio so that we can get a sense of, uh, of what, is, what is important to people. And uh, as I indicated to you uh, when we had our conversation, I would certainly be prepared to talk to the station's executive director about having a program where we could have a panel of people representing the different positions and a phone-in section so that people would have an opportunity to do that. Um, I, I didn't organize that now, as I said, because I'm doing a, a trip to uh, to Norway and a, a photo um, a paper for uh, the energy mix. So I'm going to be gone. How many members are there in the local chapter of the Council of Canadians? Uh, a membership is approximately 50. Uh, but we also are part of a coalition of other uh, community and environmental groups um, uh, that meet together and share information. So we work cross uh, organization and we work not only at the local level, but at the provincial and national level that way. So I'm involved with pretty well all of those organizations at, at those levels. Bob Garson, Patricia Sinnott, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Robert. Thanks, Rob. That was Bob Garson, a director with the local chapter of the Council of Canadians, and Patricia Sinod, 
a retired pharmacist and volunteer with the local chapter of the Council of Canadians. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.